Hello and welcome to Man on the Clapham Omnibus Sport Review. Today I'm going to do a podcast entitled Mourinho's Deficiency Ball. Now, Jose's been manager just over a year now for Spurs and there are positives. I think defensively the team are more drilled. You know, you've had you know, the evolution of Harry Kane. You've had a, you know, a step up to the next level from Son. You've had the sort of return of Alvarez, Dyer. You know, you've had some interesting signings. And there's so many things that you could sit there and say in terms of the squad, in terms of the, the future, that there is positive. It's not a particularly ageing team. It's got a lot of experience. You know, if this was an ageing team where you, you know, it's sort of reminiscent of when in the early 2000s you had a Tottenham team that under Glenn Hoddle, which had quite, you know, that was slowly but surely moving from sort of lower mid table so that kind of that 11th which just felt like Spurs spent the entire 90s you know the late 90s in 11th place and they you know they finished ninth but the problem was is that it was kind of in some ways built on a house of cards you had Gus Poye who was in his early 30s you had Les Ferdinand in his early 30s Teddy Sheringham and it just it was basically a short term boost but eventually you knew those players would ha- would decline and they'd have to be replaced and when you have a particularly young team, you might have, you know, there's growing pain. Some of those players will go to the next level, some will drop off. I remember a time in the early 2000s when we had a couple of really great young centre-halves come through the youth system. First was Ledley King, who went on had a fantastic career. Alton Thelwell, who played about 10-11 games. And then dropped down the leagues, you know, just didn't become the player that, you know, in his first 10 games when he got caught up seeing London-21s, there was just a sense that this, you know, that this pairing might be the future. And it worked out for one, didn't work out for the other. So the thing is, is that as much as there was work needed on the Spurs squad when he took over, you know, from the, you know, the end of the Pochettino era, which was really, in many ways, a situation where the squad had run out of energy, the manager had run out of energy, it needed something new. Now, I suppose the dilemma that Daniel Levy had was is that he could have gone on for a, a potch mark two. So in other words, a young manager, same kind of outlook, same kind of ideology as Pochettino, but just a fresh, you know, a new person to, you know, put some energy into it. But I think the way how that squad was, where it was sat at that exact moment, having come off the, the loss in the Champions League final, the situation that they were in, I don't think that would have worked as well. It really needed something completely different. You have a situation where there's basically a gigantic ticking clock that you might as well put at the top of the North Stand that says, this is how much time we have to persuade Harry Kane to, to basically stay. If you can prove by this point, let's say the end of the season would probably be a good starting point, would be this is when we have to be able to show Harry Kane that we can compete at the top end. If not, he's going to move on. At which point then everything becomes far more complicated. You know, The narrative becomes difficult. If you lose Harry Kane, you, you're losing part of your branding. You're losing you know, not quite the soul of the team, but it becomes that much harder. Because yes, you're going to be able to... You know, strengthen the whole team with the money that you're going to get into it but it's going to be a huge psychological blow people can think oh well that spurs done for a while and that is going to hurt so i can understand where daniel levy was thinking it's like okay we need something big 
And the, the Jose signing was the first time, really, that I can think of in Spurs history where they've gone for a manager with a huge track record. In, you know, probably the closest, maybe, you would say would possibly be sort of George Graham in the late 90s. But even then, the sense was is that you know, he'd last won the league in the you know, late 80s, early 90s. You know, the success he'd had for Arsenal in, in the 90s was really, you know, the sort of Cup Winners' Cup, FA Cup, League Cup. You know, the success he had at Leeds was kind of getting them into the sort of top six. Yes, he did have a track record, but it, it was a track record that was almost pre-Premier League era. It was more... His signing wasn't... His appointment, I don't think, was a sense of... In two or three seasons, we'll be you know, competing for you know, the title or the Champions League or the UEFA Cup spots. I think it was far more along the lines of he will basically come in, solidify us, and hopefully move us up to the table and get a cup. Whereby I, I think with Jose, what you were basically doing is it's a question, I think, of infrastructure. I think where Jose failed at Manchester United was is that the infrastructure around him was really, at first glance, looked fine. Massive stadium, fantastic history, money in the kitty to spend on transfers, but everything was kind of, it had a deceptive feel to it. There is an air of decay around Old Trafford. The stadium is looking tired. It hasn't had any kind of you know, huge amounts of money put in to make it look good. The training ground is a little bit behind all the new you know, training grounds that are opening. The one at Spurs, Leicester have moved into a new training ground. Liverpool are now moving into a new training ground. Even West Ham have done. You know, Chelsea have spent a load of money on Cobham, whereby Carrington isn't quite in the same league as that at the moment. You know, you have a situation with Ed Woodward, which I dealt with in my previous podcast about Manchester United, who isn't you know, a fantastic leader. The ownership isn't really you know, setting the tone of what how Manchester United are going to grow. It was all basically put onto Jose. He had limited levers. All it was was spend more money, try and get the team to be as successful as possible as quickly to mollify the fans. And so as a result, it became it negatively spiralled very quickly. Whereby with Spurs, it's a completely different situation. I suppose what would be what was seductive for Jose was you had the training ground, you had the stadium, you have you know in an operating officer in Daniel Levy who's very experienced, very savvy, knows what he's doing, and whereby the idea was is that Jose was going to be the final piece in the jigsaw. He was going to be the one that's going to get the top level out of Harry Kane. I can take you to the stars. I can make you explode. You know, you had Son. You had, you know, uh, as a as backbone of experienced players, you'd have some money in the transfer market and you would then have the ability to say, I will win what Poch was unable to. I can take this team on. I can refashion it. And my... Cadre, my success, my brand will basically synergize, and you know, boom, we you'll win something. The fans will come around, and we will then compete at the top level because Pochettino has shown that you can compete for the league title. You can get to the Champions League final. It's not theoretical. Now it's a case of finishing it off and actually winning something. That is what I do best. So you can see why it's far more 
positive coming into it, coming into that job. Yes, there were some changes that had to be made, but it was quite easy. It's like in all or nothing. The point is, is the easy person to make as a scapegoat is Christian Eriksen. All you need to do is basically show a few signs of him looking a bit sad. Panda coming into the training ground, have a couple of interviews where you ask him about a new contract. So he doesn't really want to, not particularly interested. And then he disappears in January off to Inter Milan. So what has he done well, you know, Mourinho done well since he's taken over? You have to say defensively they're better drilled, they're they're less clumsy, although the Aurea mistake on Sunday was a slight revision to the mean, but but I think there's an underlying quality to it, is that what Jose is dealing with and doing well at is, is masking players' deficiencies. So in other words, if you take... Eric Dyer. When Eric Dyer came back into the England team, uh, they played a Euro Nations game against Belgium. And he got done for pace on the outside by Lukaku, brings him down for a penalty. You you have a situation with Alderweireld where I suppose the real the sort of key question is why was Alderweireld more willing to stay at Spurs under Mourinho than Pochettino? And I think the point was is that Pochettino was always trying to be progressive. And so that was in some ways reliant on a high line. And in the sort of gentle decline phase of Alderweireld's career, he was always going to struggle in that style of play. And it, and you know, he was aware of it. Pochettino was aware of it. So really, he was reliant on pacey centre-half. So that's, you know, Davison Sanchez. Yes, he could sit with Davison Sanchez, but it's always going to be... He was always close to the exit. He was always going to be eventually moved on and a new centre-half who'd more suit that style of football. Whereby, with Mourinho, because you know in general he's using the low block, especially against the sort of upper-end teams, who can really hurt out of Royal because they all have the pace and that skill and talent at that level. You know, you've got Hoiberg and Sissoko covering, even, you know, with you know, a Bergwijn or a Lucas Moura, they're, they're almost at times playing like auxiliary fullbacks. And it stoops his style and skill set. He's more, you know, he's better protected. You know, some of Lloris's deficiencies in terms of, you know, at times the back end of the Pochettino era, it was the idea that the goalkeeper was going to really, you know, would have some playmaking qualities. And that, you know, there was a couple of goals, you know, one he conceded to Danny Ings where he was trying to effectively in his own six yard box, you know, do a Cruyff turn, got tackled. It was just a stupid goal to concede. But that wasn't, you know, at his you know, Loris has always been a shot stopper. He he's kicking is fine, but it's just not you know, it hints that he could have that, you know, sweeper quality. But he's nowhere near the, the uh, kind of Ederson level or or Allison, and I don't think he's ever going to reach that. It's always going to lead to more mistakes and more sort of a draining of confidence. So basically, by you know having a much more straightforward kicking game, that's helped, and also having a different goalkeeping coach, I think, to an extent, I think has reinvigorated Lloris, and he's playing pretty well at the moment. And so I think you keep just seeing that the players that are improving or who are doing well under Mourinho, are the ones where there are deficiencies and his game plan is masking them and bringing out their better qualities. You know, Eric Dyer is a good centre-half in terms of heading and tackling. You know, his passing at times can be good. But really, it's they're playing to their strengths. And that's great to a certain extent. 
But the problem is, is that the red flags that start to pop up is who isn't doing very well. And I think it's the more players who have more promise to them. So you're looking at Davis and Sanchez. You're looking at Harry Winks. You're looking at Deli Alley. Yes, there are some deficiencies in all three of their games, but there's far more upside. There is so much more upside to Davison Sanchez than the next two or three years of Toby. There is you know, upside in Deli Alley if you can get that performance out of him, if you can get the mindset right. In the same way that Harry, Harry Winks has a lot more skill than he really lets on. He's one of those very awkward players in the sense that... If he does really well, a lot of the time it won't show up when you're watching it. It will just look like a lot of sideways passes. But really, what he needs to do is to stop being such an such an opaque presence. In other words, being invisible on a football field in that kind of midfield role isn't... It will only take you so far as in terms of your career and in terms of the team that you're playing with. In other words, when he does it for England, because there is generally a higher level of quality around him. In other words, if you know that you've got a defensive midfielder in, let's say, a Declan Rice or a Jordan Henderson next to you, and your outballs are Jaden Sancho, Marcus Rashford, Harry Kane, Raheem Sterling, Mason Mann, if you've got you know, Jack Grealish, if, if that's all of the play, your attacking players in front of you, if your fullbacks are Walker and Chilwell or any of the other you know, quality, you know, Trent, that is a level of quality whereby recycling the ball quickly, moving it, you will do quite well. You know, international football is a bit slower than you know, your standard Premier League game, especially if you're top level, top six on top six battle. So that's why he's generally done quite well at England level, but is yet really where Spurs, where there's there's still quality, but it's more, you need to be more proactive. Either he needs to basically try and become you know, a version of the Harry Kane, Harry Winks version of Hoiberg, or he has to become his own player. He does have a good passing range, but at times it's almost as if it's just ticking over. And... Yes, that when a team does well, that will show up if you start looking at the the you know, the, the, the passing maps. You know, if you start really looking into sort of the next generation stats, you will see that he is effective. But the same point is, is that you need also to have a narrative. You need to be able to get the fans behind you. And you shouldn't have to look that deeply into it to appreciate him. On some level, if you're producing assists, if you are... You know, moving the ball quickly. If you are dominating big matches, people will then see, will be far more aware of your talent. But the thing is, he hasn't really kicked on. He hasn't, you know, at times, you know, back end of last season after the lockdown, you saw some sense that Mourinho was trying to sort of develop him into a kind of defensive midfielder. But the thing is, you can do a sort of a Pirlo role. There are so many different options and where he could use his skill set. And I've yet to see that. I've yet to see him really grab hold of the opportunities. But on the same point, I haven't really seen Mourinho do much. In other words, as soon as he's got Hoiberg in, it's as if Harry Winks is just a break glass in case of emergency. In other words, 
he's great to have on the bench. You can utilize him in the UEFA, in the Europa League, and in the cup games. And if one of, if let's say Sissoko gets injured or Hoiberg gets injured or suspended, great, we'll just chuck him in, and that's pretty much a you know a, a plug it plug and play kind of situation. Much in the same way with Deli Ali, there's been so much focus on it, but it it does just seem to be the sense that, and again, this is a problem that. I think in some ways dogs Mourinho is that we are so aware of everything Jose has done in terms of what happened at Chelsea the first time, the second time, you know, the the Madrid years, even to an extent the Inter Milan years, the Man U years. We're, we're so well aware of the, the character arc, the narrative, is that everything that he does as a managerial decision we can all, there's always an analogy, there's always a comparison. Ah, like even with Spurs, when we were doing quite well, when we were sort of top of the league for, you know, sort of about two and a half weeks, you can say, okay, well, he's trying to turn sort of Harry Kane into his version of Drogba. And maybe in some way, shape or form that, you know, Son is almost going to become a little bit like sort of a hybrid sort of Frank Lampard, Arjun Robin, And, ah, oh, Hoiberg, well, then he's going to be doing the McAuley role. Or it's that kind of thing, is that, ah, oh, so when he drops someone, it's immediately, ah, see, ah, uh, well, he's picked on Ali, or he's picked on Danny Rose, and that's going to be the outlier, so to bring the team together. And I think, as a result, there's just no room for nuance, there's no room for greys, it's always black and white, and people want to interpret it, you know, ah, he's gone off on a referee. The point is, is that when you actually look at what he says transcripted there's there is nuance to it but the point is no one wants to see that we've all heard it all before we're all and effectively people are waiting this is what people say to me when they talk about Spurs it's like okay Mourinho will win something and then it will fall apart and he'll irritate the players and they'll just drop off everyone will get tired of his act because we've seen that before at United at Real Madrid and it becomes Almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy. The point is, is that Deli Alley, when he first, when Mourinho first turned up, played really well. Scored some goals, scored a great goal at Manchester United, scored a couple of goals against Burnley, and looked somewhere back to his best. He was put, you know, in the 10 roll, very close to Harry Kane, and immediately his offensive numbers, goals, assist, perked up. Whereby, in the sort of waning moments of the Pochettino era when it was basically there was an element of staleness and there was muddled thinking it was an example of an exhausted mind at times because of injuries and everything else Delhi was almost being tried to use as a box-to-box midfielder which he sort of could have done at the beginning of his Tottenham career you know what similar to what he was doing at MK Dons but that was when he was you know a little bit more explosive and it didn't quite work you weren't really it's not you know the most greatest defensive player in the world it, you know in terms of positioning wasn't great and the second you moved him sort of to the 10 roll and took out that element suddenly things got better but he dropped off pretty quickly and and I think part of the problem with Spurs at the moment is that they're in some ways a sort of an intermediate squad in other words if you've got like a Southampton or you know, that sort of outfit, even to an extent a Leicester, you know, the team, you know, even though Sheffield United last season, what you have is a quite a small squad and 
you almost by proxy have to give faith to those players, you know, to Danny Ings, you know, to a and a David McGoldrick. Because so in other words, David McGoldrick last season didn't score many goals. Which, you know, for a striker usually you know, is a bad sign, lack of confidence, all the rest of it. But in the end, his actual contribution to the success of the eleven on the field was so much that actually it was almost worth waiting for him to then get some goals at the back end of the season. So in other words, you you have so much more room to ride out a, a bad run of form or a bad couple of performances. Whereby with Spurs, because you were trying to compete at the level of Man City and Liverpool, where for the past two seasons they've been getting near enough 98, 99, 100 points. So the problem is you don't have room for a couple of bad games, especially when you have a big squad when you have lots of other options if you've got a Steven Bergvine on the bench if you've got a Lucas Moura on the bench or even a Christian Eriksen up until January you weren't going to be able to sit there and watch Deli Ali have a couple of off games you and not even that even within a game if after 60 minutes you're 2-0 down and Deli hasn't done much and you've got two or three options on the bench you're almost obliged to give those players games and so then those sort of play, you know, Deli Ali has in some ways fallen behind, fallen between the cracks. So the thing is, yes, he didn't finish the season particularly well, but it's so difficult because you had a huge gap, lots of games, you know, straight afterwards in in a very short period of time. But he turns up to pre-season and does really well. You know, looked revitalised, you know, Dyer was saying it, the manager was saying it. You could see even from the highlights that he was playing well, he was scoring goals. And there was a sense of, you know, this was a year where he could kick on. And the first game against Everton, where we lost 1-0, what I would have to say is, is that it was a dozy sort of game. It was, you know, a lot of the Spurs players hadn't played much in pre-season, and it just didn't click. Yeah. And that's fine. It, it happens. It was disappointing. Yeah, Everton got their goal from you know, a set piece. You know, well taken by Dominic Calvert-Lewin. But I think the difference was is that Everton came into that game with a lot more, I think, positivity. You had James Rodriguez. You had Allen. You had Decore. You, know, you had Carlo Ancelotti's first full season. There was a lot, I think, of positivity going into that game. They got the win and they started the season quite well. Dropped off in the middle and now have you know again had another good run. They're, I, th- I would say you know they're co- they're competition for the top six, top four even. You know, Delhi got pulled off at half time and really in the Premier League hasn't been seen since in any meaningful sense of the word. And and to my mind, I think there's an element of unfairness to it. On the day, you know, the substitutions that Jose has made at times when we haven't been doing very well haven't turned the tide. So in other words, you had, you know, with uh, Antwerp away. Tottenham hadn't played particularly well. But I think, and this is my problem really with the British and specifically English attitude towards the Europa League, is that there's always an inbuilt snobbery to it. There's always a sense that the English team should rock up and batter the oppo and it should be relatively straightforward. And any kind of roadblock isn't at any way, shape or form down to the oppo being good. It's down to a failing of the English side. 
and it in many ways it's due to a, a really a misunderstanding of the the qualification and the teams that you are actually playing to get through the qualification you have to go to difficult places and you have different styles of football so you will have teams that are very much attacking and they'll have you know lots of young talented players where it's really like a feeder league so you have you know you'll have some south americans you'll have some african players you know latin american players and you know, you might hear of them in two or three years they might be in belgium they might be in holland they might be in france portugal and a few of those kids will then kick on and will end up in italy spain england germany some of those teams will kick on and it's like what i used to find with when tottenham spent a lot of time in the europa league in the kind of the Harry Redknapp and the AVB era, is that you play a team you didn't know much about and they'd give you a bit of a hard time. Sometimes you might win at home, you might draw away, and you'd be more annoyed at the players. And then about two seasons later, you'd see them in the group stages and they'd be giving Barcelona a hard time or they'd be giving Juventus a hard time. And you'd then look back and think, well, actually, that team was on an upward swing and they were actually better than you gave them credit for at the time. You just thought that you know, the, that your team, you, that the boys just hadn't turned up because it's a Europa League game, because it's a Thursday night and it's cold, wet, miserable, you know, the stadium isn't full, there's a lack of atmosphere. And so this is the problem that I found, is that every time that there is a bump in the road this season, there's been a massive overreaction. So yes, Spurs were poor in the first 45 minutes against Everton. Yeah, you pull off... Deli Alley, you know, he hadn't done much. But then no one on the field that day did particularly brilliantly well. But the second half wasn't any much better. You know, it was far more, you know, it was more reminiscent of the back end of the uh, post-lockdown. Like the, the Bournemouth game where they just struggled nil-nil against an outfit that was going down, that wasn't in any kind of form, and there was just no creativity. It was a bit of a mess. And so you get the Antwerp away game where, you know, you basically had effectively a sort of a second eleven, and they hadn't particularly played brilliantly. Well, they created a couple of chances, but Antwerp looked a bit more dangerous. But then you looked at the team and there was lots of experience. You had like Rich Delat who'd come through from Manchester United, who played a lot in England. And you looked at them and they were an experienced outfit. They had a great home record. You know, the Belgian League has talent within it. You can see some of those players have now gone into France. There is talent. And they're not a bad outfit. And on their day, everyone was 7 out of 10. Tottenham gave away a stupid goal. They're 1-0 down at half-time. But immediately he's made three subs. Then um, you know, 15 minutes later, you've made in a couple more subs. And suddenly you've changed half of the outfield team. And it didn't get any better. In the end, you know, it was a wet, rainy, miserable night. Empty stadium. And they've lost 1-0. So in other words, the subs didn't make it any better. There wasn't a significant improvement. Tottenham didn't create that many chances. They had some pressure, but eventually, 10 men behind the ball, it happens. You have off days. You know, Gio wasn't fully fit. You know, you've got a new striker in Carlos Vinicius who hasn't played much. And so suddenly, the point is, is that you've then used Hoiberg for an extra 45 minutes. You've used Son for 45 minutes. You've used Harry Kane for about 20 minutes. And you're just looking, thinking, well, all of this is essentially ramping up. You've had problems, injury problems with both Son and Kane. Those are the two people you cannot replace. 
at the moment, if you look at, if you go through like the Premier League squad number, you know, the basic stats, I mean, we're talking about basics, goals, assists, appearance, and you've literally got a situation where it's, you know, Lucas Moore and Bergvine have played about 21 games collectively and have one goal between them. You know, Vinicius has made one appearance in the Premier League off the bench for about 10 minutes against West Brom. You really, you know, Bale has made four appearances in the Premier League and has scored one goal. I think he's only had one or two starts. You know, there is just no replacement for either of those players. You have talent, but none of them are in any kind of form or consistency to put up the numbers that Son and Kane are putting. So every time you use them in the Premier League, you're increasing the workload. And you know that Kane has a workload for for England. Son has it for South Korea. You also have the League Cup. You know, there is lots going on. And the thing is, losing one game in the group stage of the Europa League isn't the end of the world. What I think you Tottenham needed was firstly to qualify. Yep, I can respect that. It's how they qualified that I think bothered me. It was so much that was yeah, so Hoiberg was overused, Kane was overused. In the end you have a situation where Vinicius in the five or six games he had in the group stages got three goals and three assists. Now the underlying stats do show that you know, he wasn't particularly efficient. You know, there was a couple of missed chances, yeah there were some mislaid passes. You know, there are imperfections to his game. But the point is is that if you look at his backstory, this is a midfielder who's been converted to an attacker, who was playing in the lower levels of Brazilian football, wasn't particularly highly regarded, managed to you know, make a move out to Portugal, and then has basically exploded within a couple of seasons. So in other words, he is not an overtly experienced player. What he is... Is someone with a lot of potential. If you score 20-plus goals for Benfica and you score in Europe, you have some talent. What he's not is someone who's played striker his whole career. He's not someone that, you know, he's not a Giroud. He's not someone with you know, oceans of experience. But he there is so much potential there. But if, and the Antwerp home game irritated me. At this point, Spurs have qualified. Yes, it's a question of whether you're going to finish top and get a slightly easier draw, or second and a you know potentially a harder draw. But the thing is, when you looked at the, the list of teams, there was you know you're going to be playing someone competent, someone who's going to have elements of danger. I mean, people were talking down Wolfsburg at the Austrian side. And it's like, well, they beat Feyenoord home and away. They're not a pony outfit. They you know they can hurt you. And they're especially dangerous because they're the classic example of a, a side that you know, has only you know, a few years ago got promoted into the Austrian Bundesliga. They've won, I think they won a cup. This season, they're nowhere. They're not probably not going to qualify through the league. They're not going to be. You know, they're not going to catch Linz or RB Salzburg. And you have to remember, RB Salzburg are an outfit that are doing well in the Champions League, who have shown you know hurt Liverpool. You know, it's so easy to go, oh, they're Austrian, then you don't know much about the Austrian Bundesliga. But you do have to respect that these teams are well-organised. They do have talent there. So when we play them in the round of 32 game, their whole season rests on, this is you know the tie of a lifetime for them. It's a big team. You've got Jose, you've got Son, you've got Harry, you've got Hugo Lloris. You know, you know, name brand players. So yeah, for them, their whole season is, if you can get a result, all will be forgiven in terms of your league position. 
you know, every, you know, the fans are happy to be there. The players, this is just a free hit, and they're going to throw everything at it. So, really, to go back to the... So, even that, which was considered a kind draw, there are still some issues. There is still... It's not going to be as easy as... Look, you might do, let's say, the home leg, you beat them 5-0, job done. But it, I think it's going to be a lot harder than people give it credit for. And so, you had this Antwerp home game, and... You know, Antwerp throughout the whole game didn't get you know I think they had a couple of shots on goal. You know they they were tidy. You know they weren't as dangerous as they were at home, and at this stage you, know, you were you know, Tottenham just needed the a draw I think to finish top. And you know for the start of the second half, they finally get the break for about fifty five minutes in. Gareth Bale does a fantastic free kick, hits the bar. Finishes, taps it in. So suddenly you now know that Antwerp are going to have to go for this. They are going to have to try and get the win if they are going to try and finish top. So they're just going to open up. You know, Spurs have created some chance. The keeper made a few good saves. And yet at this point, before the free kick, he already had Kane and Son lined up. Now the point is, is that at 0-0, if you really want to win it, fine. But you know, at some point, you've already qualified. Spurs need to have the self-confidence that whoever they play in the round of 32, they can beat. If you're sitting there trying to avoid teams, that to me is a an admission of, not quite defeat, but it's an admission that, an admission of weakness. So he then brings them on. And the thing is, is that if you're Vinicius, you've just scored, You, I think anybody else would just sit there and say, okay, boys, sit down for 10 minutes, We'll see what happens. If it opens up, you have the possibility that Kane, sorry, that Bale and Vinicius, they might get a second goal, a third goal. Put the thing to bed. You can rest Son. You can rest Kane. Job done. Yeah, you've got more legs. You know, you've got more minutes in the legs of the reserve team. You've got their confidence improved. Instead, you've just pulled them off. And yeah, Spurs then went and got a second goal. Had a couple more chances, but the the style of play didn't really improve much. In the end, they saw it out. It was a little bit awkward, and they won 2-0. But you've still now put another 35 minutes into Kane and Son, increased the chance of them getting injured, increased their workload. And in the end, you just felt it was just Jose desperately wanting to finish first. But you're like, well, it doesn't really matter. It's you know, it's more of an ego thing. It's, it's like, oh, I don't want to lose to Royal Antwerp. Yes, but it's who remembers the group stages of the Europa League? It's just a, you get in... You get out, job done. You try not to get any injury suspensions. You know, if you can then get some of your youth team players to do well, if you can get some of your fringe players to get some confidence, that's more important than finishing first or second. And that's it. There's a constant sense of overreaction. You know, the halftime subs he keeps making don't doesn't seem to be having an impact. I can't think of this season where we've made a halftime sub and things have magically improved. Now, if you go through some of you know the games, is that we haven't necessarily you know the Southampton game, yeah, you know, which is a second league game, and we were one 0 down. We weren't doing much. Got a goal just before half time, and then sort of ran out in the second half, scored four goals. The thing is, is that what you can see is is that there are some problems. You know, it, it, you know against Newcastle, another example where. They got the goal. The goalkeeper's made a load of very good saves. And the thing is, is that 
Spurs held Newcastle off, but that last 20 minutes, they just stopped trying to get a second. It was just, well, I think we can sit, hold, you know, we can see this out. And I think that's where another red flag for me is that with the, te- you know, whenever you go into a situation where you are constantly holding out, if you take every single game to the last minute, it takes emotional energy. It's tiredness. It just, the oppo is always going to come at you in it when it comes down to the last minute. If, the point is, is that no matter how disciplined, no matter how well you do, eventually something will happen. Someone will either make a mistake, you'll, get, you'll have a penalty or a free kick, or someone from 30 yards will just do a worldie, and then it's one all. And that's really what happened in the Newcastle game. It held Newcastle off, but the point was is that when it came down to injury time, of course... Newcastle were going to start to go for it. They were going to bring on Andy Carroll. They were going to pump it into the box. Because for them, if you t- if you give Steve Bruce a situation, a scenario where you can lose 2-0 away to Spurs, that's not the end of the world. Newcastle are not sitting there worried about goal difference. or that's it. Whereby, if you sit there and say, well, actually, if you go for it, you might end up nicking a point. Point away at Spurs is fantastic, especially if you've been under the cosh, especially if your goalkeeper's been your best player. And that's what's happened. Yeah, it was unlucky for Dai. You could probably argue it's a VAR situation. But it does happen. Suddenly, you know, your, their first shot on target was the penalty. Goal, one all. But you hadn't, you hadn't put the game to bed. You hadn't finished it off. So that's for me, is a red flag. Is that they were just too content to stick with one all. And yes, they were unlucky. But that's going to happen, much in the same way the West Ham game. The thing is, is that what nobody really sat there at the time and said was, this was the third time that Spurs had done that. They twice before at you know the London Stadium, they had gone three 0 up on West Ham. Once under Pochettino, once under Jose. Both times three 0 cruising. West Ham don't give up in that game. Both occasions, West Ham got it down to three two. And Spurs nervily held it out. So there must have, there should be enough knowledge within that team to know, 3-0 against West Ham, they will not give up. If it's Newcastle, if it's maybe Southampton or Palace, there are outfits where, yes, it's not the end of the world if you lose away at Spurs. They're a top four, top five, top six team. But not West Ham. And so eventually, yeah, you could sit there and say there was some sloppy defending from a set piece, a dopey own goal. And really, what was that third goal? It's a worldie from nowhere. It's you know, 35, 40 yards. The guy smashed it into the top corner. But the thing is, is that Spurs hadn't shown any level of control. They were far too content to give West Ham the impetus, to basically give them the imperative to say, yeah, we think we can hold you out. But the thing is, that second half, I felt, sick it was just there was something not quite right they weren't either trying to attack enough to get the fourth goal to bury them in other words the first 20 minutes 25 minutes were fantastic they tore them apart you know against man united against southampton you know against even you know a couple of the europa league games like you know maccabee haifa you know there have been times where tottenham have really damaged teams where they are showing that they can tear them apart. They have, there's so much sort of talent floating around. You've got Undumbele, you've got Lo Celso, you've got Kane, you've got Bale, you, you know, there's you know, Bergwijn, Mora. 
there is so much floating around. Even, you know, a lamella who obviously the natural and inevitable injuries. There is so much potential there. But we're not really seeing that potential. That potential now seems to have dissipated. And I think part of it is because when you go away to Burnley, you know, Turf Moor, even you know the Brighton home game, yes, these teams are going to be set up in a way that's going to try and stifle your best intention, especially West Brom away. And you know, there is and some an element of impressiveness around getting those results. You know, late goal, you know, for Bale against Brighton, you know, late goal for Son, you know, late goal for Kane. And in some ways that you could I suppose if you're using the, the, the old college football sense when they used to have to vote for the top team. So the coaches would all sit down and put their top ten and that's how you would work out the national rankings. And in some ways you could build a case to say that Spurs were holding these games out, were defensively strong. But in the end, to me, it looked very much like a slightly flimsy case. So in other words, yes, you can say they were unlucky against Newcastle, but counteractively, they were lucky against West Brom. They just got a late goal. And you could basically have you know, swapped those two results around. Tottenham held out 1-0 against Newcastle. Fair result. Tottenham got a 0-0 against West Brom. No one would have complained. They didn't really do enough to really win that game. And West Brom is just your classic, nearly promoted side that are going to give everyone a bit of a game but probably haven't got enough to stay up. In other words, they will always concede the late goal. The difference is that when Burnley concede the late goal, they can string together a few results. I don't think West Brom can do that. Although Big Sam could potentially turn it around, but I, I think it's somewhat unlikely. And then you've had these whole run of games where the Man City game the Chelsea game, the Arsenal game. And this is when Tottenham kind of went top. And I think the problem that you have is is that you were, you were never going to be able to play as fluently against Man City, Chelsea away. And so I, I respect the tactics. I respect where deficiency ball, how that could get you a result, especially against Man City. Man City are a vulnerable outfit this year. They're not as fluent, you know, without Aguero, you know, Jesus hasn't, you know, has got a bit goal shine, is just doing the, the, the donkey work and not really trying to score. You know, Mares, Bernardo Silva haven't quite hit the same levels, neither has De Bruyne, to be honest. Sterling's taken a step back. And it's really the problem is is that with Man City, to an extent I think it's a narrative issue. Because if it had been let's say Pep's you know, last season of his contract, I think you could very much produce some energy from that. The idea of, look, lads, this is our one last go, eventually Sergio will go, you know, David Silva is gone, this is it. Let's just go completely at this, you know, maybe focus a little bit on the Champions League, and let's just try and, you know, last year of the gang being together. This could potentially be your last year with Pep, whereby I think him signing that contract has really turned this season into a... has turned it into a bridge year. It's, okay. we're going to have to move on from Sergio. There's a sense that Gabriel doesn't really have what it takes to be the front man that would score 25 goals, 10, 15 assists, or to turn himself into a Firmino, but then somebody else would then have to bang in 25 goals. And as a result, 
they're not really prosecuting games. You know, the West Brom game where they drew one all. They had a lot of pressure, but they only created really chance in the last 10 minutes. But they were still not defensively sound enough not to have conceded. There's been a couple, even the, you know, the game we played against them. You knew exactly what we were going to do and how we were going to do it. They weren't able to stop it, and nor were they able to really... Even in the last sort of 20 minutes, they didn't put us under a huge amount of pressure. But that's the thing is, is that Man United have Man City have that vulnerability. You know, against Manchester United, they were happy to play for a nil-nil. You know, and even coming into the, the Chelsea game, there's a sense, you know, Frank Lampard got a nil-nil up at Old Trafford where they didn't do a huge amount. There, there was a caginess to it. Neither team particularly wanted to lose that game. You know, Chelsea probably had the better chances. But again, all of the you know, Lampard subs were like for like. It was never a sense that he was ever going to overload it. He wasn't going to fall into the trap that Guardiola did. Which I think neatly kind of brings us on to the Arsenal game. Now, I am never ever going to complain about beating Arsenal 2-0 at home. But again... I think if you take away, if you just look at the game itself, first half, Tottenham got the goals, Arsenal showed their, I think, intrinsic weaknesses. You know, going in at 1-0 down at half-time, no worries. You know, you know that Tottenham are going to dig in, that they're probably going to be a little bit, they're not going to come out and be fluid, they're not going to turn this into a end-to-end game. So you're going to have be able to have the possession and the territory. And it's really down to, you know, do you have the ability to create the chances and then to take them? Now, if you, on the other hand, start trying to push for an equaliser and leave yourself short at the back, Tottenham can hurt you. Kane, Son can hurt you. 2-0, that then turns that into a mountain. It's that much harder. Tottenham can sit that much deeper. But my problem with it was that Yes, you literally Tottenham said to Arsenal in the second half, beat us. We don't think you have enough quality and enough fluency to be able to score one goal, two goals, three goals. We don't need to score again. And yes, that was true, but the problem is is that what happened if Arsenal would shind it? What happens if one of those balls goes into the back of the net with 20 minutes to go? Would Tottenham have then said, OK, lads, roll up your sleeves, go up the other end and get a third, or they have just sat deeper and deeper and deeper, like the West Ham game, like the Newcastle game, and basically, at which point Arsenal was like, well, we were nowhere in this game. Again, you throw everything at it, you might have nicked a draw. The thing is, is that, yeah, Arsenal have weaknesses. Man City have weaknesses. Chelsea are will only get better as this season gets on, once, you know, your Hiverts gets better, once Werner gets better. You know, you can't, you know, Chelsea at the moment, it's not quite a bridge season, but they are developing. They are only really going to get better. If not, they will replace Lampard, at which point you might even get a better manager. It just seems to me that these set of games was where Tottenham were entirely reactive. They were entirely, you know, the opposition's narrative was more important than our narrative. We just basically worked out, yep, we have Son, we have Kane, they are linking up, they are scoring goals, we don't need huge amounts of possession, we will create chances, and you know, it doesn't have to be a huge amount of chances, we will take them. And I think that's what's happened then when you get to the Palace game. 
is that they created a few chances. Goal, again, goalkeepers had a great game. But there was no sense at any point that really Tottenham were doing anything more than we've got our goal, you know, we've got the flag, we'll defend the flag. If we get a second, that's even better. If not, we'll hold this out. At which point, you're just basically inviting Palace to go for it. And the thing is, is that no matter how well deficiency ball works, so in other words, no matter how many assists Kane gets, no matter how many goals he gets, same thing for Son, is that it is not likely nobody else is getting goals. You know, you might get the odd goal from Undumbele, you might get the odd goal from Lo Celso. In other words, they're almost in a, you know, position share. In other words, one gets 60 minutes one week, the other replaces him, gets half an hour, and then they swap around. It doesn't seem at the moment the way Hasbro's are playing that you can get fit them both in without some without losing the benefits of both of them. Theoretically, you should be able to fit them both into midfield, and the potential is huge. They're both fantastically gifted players. I think the whole thing with Son and Kane is that I suppose the underlying question is, can anyone other than Kane or Son succeed offensively in deficiency ball? Because you've turned Lucas and Bergwijn into auxiliary fullbacks. It sort of reminds me of Darren Bent's career at Sunderland. Is that he would put up fantastic numbers, plus 20 goals a season, but then the rest of the outfit was scoring 17 goals. So in other words, was it worth it? If that then put so much pressure on Bent, if Bent had a bad three, four games, if nobody else was going to score, if the op- if the team as a collective wasn't creating enough chances for anybody else, if he wasn't able to bring other players into it, it limits your thing. If you're only scoring 40, 42, 43 goals a season, then you have to then have a defence that can only concede 35 goals or 30 goals. And suddenly that becomes a very difficult it becomes your margins become very thin in other words any lucky deflection any free kick that shouldn't have been awarded any kind of problem just gets you know if you have a bad start and you go two minutes down in 10 minutes it becomes that much harder everything becomes more difficult and the same things happened at palace in the end they've got you know a fairly scrappy goal but you will give away free kicks especially if you're sitting on the edge of your own box for 40 minutes it, the, the, you know, then everything becomes knife-edge, whereby you're trying to then compare Mourinho to his first Chelsea team, where there were elements of deficiency ball in that, but the sort of quality that you had around you. You had peak-era John Terry, peak-era Petr Cech, peak-era Ricardo Carvalho. You, know, you had Wayne Bridge. You had Paolo Ferreira. You, know, you had McAuley, you Duff. You, you had so many players at their height, is that, yes, you could really go for a season and concede 20 goals. And you would still score 60, 70, and that would be more than enough. In other words, you were able to get all of these 1-0s and 2-0s and 2-1s, especially away from home. But you were still able to beat teams 3-0, 4-0 at Stamford Bridge. You know, we've lost that fluidity. And there was no sense at Palace... And the thing is, maybe you could say that because you'd had all of those tough games week after week after week, that it was difficult to change the mentality. But then there was the subs that were used weren't particularly proactive. It was really just holding it down. 
And yeah, maybe at, you know, at times, you know, Palace are a well-organised team. Uncle Roy was smart enough to know that if you use the long ball, if you have Benteke, that will take away some of the advantage of the low block. And, you know, if you rode your luck, you have a good goalkeeper and a good shot stopper in, in Gaeta, you might be able to, you know, use Tottenham's advantages against them, deficiency ball. Whereby you then saw the week after when Liverpool played them, is that really in some respects Liverpool rode their luck at times, especially at 1-0, 2-0. But the point was is that firstly Palace didn't take their chances and it didn't seem to bother Liverpool had they conceded. They just felt if we keep attacking this team we will rip them to shreds. And so basically by the time you got the second, the third, and this is just before half-time, the game's over. Palace are not going to score four goals against Liverpool. Or if they are going to try to do so, they will leave so many gaps at the back, you will be able to pull them apart. So everyone else got, you know, it became a training game. You were able to bring subs on. You weren't tiring out the team. Whereby Tottenham had a tough game against Palace where, yeah, they were trying to win it in the last minute, but they could have easily lost it had there been a dodgy bounce. Or, you know, someone, you know, Zaha goes on a run and scores a wonder goal. You know, even when it came down to the Liverpool game, which has been so discussed. The thing is, is that, yes, Tottenham were unlucky in that game. But the problem was, is that they came in at half-time one all. They had created, really, one or two opportunities. Yes, they had taken that goal, but Liverpool had, had the bulk. and put Tottenham under so much pressure. You know, they weren't able to, you know... The thing is, you can almost sit there and say that 45 minutes was, you know, 43 minutes of Tottenham clearing the ball and about two minutes worth of attacking, you know, initiative. And yeah, it's great that they got the goal, but the point is, is that on the other side of it, had Son missed that chance, it could have easily, easily been, two, Liverpool could have been two, three goals up and could have had that game buried. Yeah, it was great in the second half that Tottenham realised that if they carried on playing like that, they were just going to lose this game quite meekly. But, and this is my problem, the, another red flag is that you're only ever getting 45 minutes here, 45 minutes there. You're never really getting 70 minutes, 80 minutes, 90 minutes of consistent performance. You know, the Southampton game was great, but it was the second half. It was really the first 44 and a half minutes of it were Tottenham were 1-0 down and weren't going very far. Yeah, but the problem is Southampton do have that, you know, have a wonderful way of playing football. I'm very impressed with Ralph Hassenhuttle. But they are, in terms of their quality, a 70-minute team. So against South, against Man United, they were great for 70 minutes, were 2-0 up, and then fell apart and conceded three goals late and lost. It's just they don't quite have the talent or the depth to maintain it. And that's what they showed against Spurs. Yet for 45 and a half, 44 and a half minutes, they were able to you know, hurt Spurs. But eventually, you know, because there's... A, and then the naivety. If you're going to play that open and try and basically play teams on their merit, they will eventually hurt you. You will get the odd great result in between. And I admire that because, you know what? That means the other results when they're playing non-top six teams, they are getting more wins. They're not just you know, eking out results. And that's impressive. But that's the point, is that Spurs got one point, Liverpool got three. And you just think this year... Liverpool are going to drop more points. It may well be 85 to 90 that wins it. But right now, Tottenham are not playing fluid enough. I don't see how they can get to 86 points or above with the way how they are playing. 
with the deficiencies that they have. If you're relying on Dyer, Alderweireld, Serge, Hugo, you, the margins become very tight. You're expecting, therefore, Kane and Son to be fit for the whole season, despite all of the game time you're giving them. And if you play them tonight against Stoke City, that's another red flag because you haven't put Carlos Vinicius in a position where he can play a major role in the league or in the Cups because you keep subbing him because you're not giving him enough game time to get established. One of the problems we had against Leicester was is that in the first half, Tottenham just didn't seem to be doing an awful lot. They weren't trying to take the game to Leicester. They weren't trying to win the game. They were waiting for Leicester to make a mistake. So it became almost like a chess match. They were waiting for them to make a mistake and then hit them. But Leicester never made that mistake. <laughs> Leicester were far more proactive, were far more trying to get the goal, trying to you know, basically push the game on. And so as a result, because you were giving up you know, so much territory... One, you, when you did make a defensive mistake, and it was you know, a dopey mistake from Aria, you then give away the penalty. And even in the second half, you know, you, they made the, the traditional half-time sub. But it didn't really work. You ended up with, you know, sometimes I think with the worst of Mourinho at Spurs, is you end up with Harry Kane and three wingers, and a bunch of defensive midfielders, and... There's no penetration from the wing, there's no crosses into the box, there's no runners into the box, and there's no one really running the show. You, you know, at what point Bale played about four different positions in his 45 minutes? And it was, at one point, played a bit right back, he played as a number 10, he played as a winger, he played as a target man, and at no point... And he did nice things. I mean, the problem was is that really, and this is why a lot of the criticism of Bale annoying me is that effectively under this deficiency ball you really are asking Gareth Bell to be old Gareth Bell here get the ball you'll have two or three men around you you're not gonna have a huge amount of space make something happen go past people skin people ping it into the top corner you know there's no link-up play because in the end he doesn't get much playing time Moore doesn't get much playing time Bergvine doesn't they're all kind of and half the time your first job is cover your fullbacks. You know, the point is, is that Bergwijn has missed a few chances, but it is really the situation against Liverpool is like you have to track back, you have to play two different positions, you don't get much of the ball. Whatever chances you make, you have to almost make on your own. You might get the odd flick on and then you have to then muscle a Liverpool player out. You have to go past someone and then ping it into the corner and you will have two chances in this game and that is it. You have to then hit it. And the point is that, well, what other chances he had? You know, he's created a couple of chances, but most of the time it's been Son and Kane. Because really, they're the only ones that get given the majority. Because the thing is, and this is, again, you know, I, I have an issue with sort of right-wing Spurs fans and the way how they are, I think, using Jose as a figurehead to wage a culture war. It's the idea that, you know, basically, we must support... Jose. Jose is always right. Because he's won everything, everything he does is correct. Um, it must be devotion. It's, you're either with us or you're without us. You know. There's no room for criticism or even constructive criticism. There has to be a scapegoat. So that's Ali or Danny Rose or now Gareth Bale. 
it's a, and it's also this kind of idea of a zero sum game is that you know, Poch was the one who couldn't finish the job off. And as a result, you have to get Jose in and you have to follow what Jose does because no matter, you know, it might not be enjoyable, but it will guarantee you a trophy. And for me, it, it's so black and white. It's so simplistic. You know, in other words, everything positive has to be there for Jose. And anything that is negative has to be the players or the, you know, Ali in this kind of Trotsky role where everything, you know, the point is is that if you give Delhi Ali a handful of minutes in a few empty stadium Europa League games, and yet the criticism I would have of Delhi Ali was he took the first few Europa League games and didn't do particularly much and didn't seem to be trying hard. But the problem that I felt was is that what can you do is that if you're given 45 minutes in one game, it's not a situation you can't just switch it on. You can't just say, I am going to win this game single-handedly. It doesn't really work like that. You at some point have to have some element of consistency with the players you're playing with, the consistency of the role. I wish that they had basically brought had Deli Ali on the bench against Leicester. I think if you brought him on at half time and given him, you know, a playmaker role, tucked him with Kane, you have the wingers, you have the options. You know, if you needed to then make a sub and bring on you know Winks and told Winks to be, you know, a quarterback. Start spraying the ball around, start getting it into Ali. Ali can then bring in Kane. You've got pace around the back with the fullbacks and with the wingers, you have different options on the bench, and you can create something that is effectively a way of pinning Leicester down and creating chances. When you have three wingers and Harry Kane, you don't get all it is is dribbles you know hit and hope crosses long balls what you're not doing is getting people you know, you're not there's no one conducting it you know, bailed did it for a little bit and in the end you didn't not you know harry winks didn't really know what he was doing neither did bell you just had it was just a complete mess there was no control there was no sense of how tottenham were going to create chances other than basically you're trying to run past them, hit and hopes, long balls, and it just, there was no fluidity. There was no sense of fluency either. Now, I've had this discussion before about the League Cup. Is Does the League Cup work as a springboard to bigger and better things? And I don't think it does. Not for a club of Spurs' side, or size even. I mean, look at this. We're playing Stoke away, and they're just outside the Division One playoffs, you know, Championship playoffs. And you know, Michael O'Neill, the former Northern Ireland manager, has done a great job taking them from the bottom of the Championship, where they're a complete rabble, huge wage bill, loads of players. He's slimmed it down. They're playing good, decent football. But if we are to end up in the semi-finals, if we win tonight, well, this is how we would have got to the semi-finals. We had a bye in the. Original round because we were playing European football. We had a buy in the second round because Leighton Orient had a COVID crisis and weren't able to play. And we played 19 minutes against Chelsea where it was one all. Both teams were somewhat weakened and it went to a penalty shootout and Mason Mount hit the post. And you, um, or and if we then beat in Stoke away, you we might even draw against them. Get you know after 90 minutes go straight to a penalty shootout. It's not at no point in that entire process. Would you say that 
Jose has done anything more than, you know, any other. You know, it's not a sign that Tottenham have changed or that there's a winning mentality. It's just you beat the team that's in front of you. The point is, is you could argue, well, why didn't Frank Lampard prosecute the League Cup more fully? Well, for him, it's like, well, the only thing that's going to keep him in a Chelsea job is competing for the League or the Champions League. Yeah, League Cup would be nice, but right now, would he want another fixture just before Christmas, just before the Boxing Day games, before you've got all of these nightmare games coming up where you know it's already compacted, you've got another couple of international breaks coming up in March. Would you rather have this awkward game away at Stoke, or would you rather just be focusing on getting into the top four, top three, and trying to you know challenge Liverpool? I think he would rather challenge Liverpool than get a League Cup where, yeah, you might end up playing Man City in the final, and if you, you know, Man City on their day can win. There's no guarantees, and a League Cup would help, but it wouldn't necessarily guarantee that he was going to keep the job any longer. And this is the, the whole point of this sort of culture war. And the thing is, is that Jose wouldn't have got, wouldn't have taken this job had Poch not put the team in the position where they were actually able to compete for a Champions League final, where they're able to compete for the league. If they were in the Tim Sherwood situation, where they were 6th or 7th and were a complete rabble, then I don't imagine Jose would have taken that job. The point is, is that, yes, Harry Kane has done fantastic things this season. Yes, he has changed. You know, he is, like a lot of fantastic, brilliant football players, his game has changed. It has grown stronger. The thing is, he's not going to be the player that when he, when we first competed for the league, where he was yeah, an out-and-out striker, scored lots of goals, had a, a bit of pace about him. You know, he's had injuries. He's never going to be the fastest player, even at his you know, younger self. It was merely, you know, I can get a couple of yards on you and then spank it in. But the problem is, is that and the thing is, people were saying on the sort of the right were like, "Well, this is Jose has seen this and Poch didn't." No, Poch has always said that Harry Kane can play as a ten. The point is, is that if you had Christian Eriksen who was performing at an incredibly high level, you stick Christian Eriksen in the ten, and you stick Harry Kane as a nine. Yeah, and then you have Ali and Son. The point is, Son has got better year on year, and it is fantastic that he's hitting that level. But that is not, you know, Jose deserves some credit. But the point is, is all you've done under deficiency ball is maximise Son and Kane. Nobody else is particularly performing well. They're performing within their job, but if their job is an auxiliary fullback, or, you know, Dele Alli gets two minutes here, not in the squad there, you're not, you're not utilising the squad depth that Tottenham actually have. I mean, this is the part, you know, the role of Levy. It's been completely the thing. It's because everything is now into the charismatic alpha lead, the devotion side of things. Is that the role of Levy gets downplayed? The point is, last season, and even coming into the summer, there was more than enough evidence that seems to suggest that Jose would have happily got rid of Tungi and Dumbele. The point was, is that Levy has said to him, the only way I'm selling him is if I get the money that we paid in for him. So anywhere between sort of 55 to £60 million, if someone is going to give me that level of coin, happy days. We'll get rid of Tungi, no questions asked. The point was, nobody 
who had £60 million, was going to spend that money on a player that's basically flamed out a bit of Spurs with fitness concerns, who had this first time in an absolute top four power league. So, in other words, the Premier League, La Liga, Bundesliga, Serie A. No one was going to spend that coin. So, in other words, the problem was is that, look, you can get you can freeze Tunga and Dembele out, but you're not getting another replacement, which is not what happened at United, whereby it's like, okay, uh, this player hasn't worked. So, in other words, like, they spent a load of money on Lindelof, didn't work. He wanted another centre-half. That would then solve that problem. Tottenham, you don't get that. In other words, first, he wasn't really convinced about Lo Celso, and then Lo Celso had to prove himself and then got signed permanently originally it was a loan deal and in a way this is where I, I see how things could be positive how some of those red flags could be I think ameliorated was if you sit there and if Jose starts to realize that he has to develop these players that he has to you know in other words instead of being so overly focused on the here and now in other words the next result you do need to get to a situation where Tottenham are playing positively. That is how teams are winning the league. You know, if you look at the success that Lille are having in in the championnat in France, if you're looking at some of the success that you know, Atletico and Real Sociedad are having in Spain, if you're looking at some of the success that Leverkusen and RB Leipzig are having in Dortmund, it's playing positive football. I think there is room for some elements of deficiency ball in Tottenham's armoury. I think it is a powerful tool to have when you're going away to teams, when you're dealing with very talented teams, especially at the back end of Europe. But that can't be the be-all and end-all. There has to be something more. There has to be something that allows you to try and compete with Liverpool, not just stifle them, because this is the whole point with the Liverpool game, is that Tottenham shut up shop with about 5, 10, 15 minutes to go. You know, they took off... Bergvine, they brought on a fullback instead. They were quite happy to go get the point. Liverpool weren't. They really wanted to get that result. They wanted to make this a signature game. The Liverpool were back. They got that goal. They then went and smashed Palace. And then suddenly, where we were two weeks ago, was the sense that, you know, Liverpool dropped points against Brighton. They had that Villa game. There were some injuries. There were question marks over, you know, could Liverpool be vulnerable? Now, everything has been flipped. We, you now know that Liverpool are strong. Their squad depth is now because they've used all of these young players proactively and positively. You, know, you could argue maybe reactively, but the point is, it's now a proactive situation. You now have more depth, you have more talent, you have more options. You can now utilise your squad better in a way than he was at the beginning. So the Brighton game where he was sort of complaining about you know, the injuries... And it's like, well, you can't complain if, if Robertson gets injured if you played him seven games in you know sort of four or five weeks when you signed a reserve fullback and hit that player hasn't played. That's on you. But now, that's now been taken away because he now has faith and confidence in these young players. The real question is, is that can Jose utilise the squad he has? Can he get Vinicius playing? Can he get Bale playing? Can he get Winks? Can he get Ali playing? Can he utilise that so that when you that you could have a deep run in the league, a deep run in the Europa League, and still be in a position to finish in the top four or even go for the league? Yeah, there are so many more positives in this squad 
You know, Bergvine has talent. Mora has talent. You know, this isn't a situation where, where the Mourinho administration has jumped the shark. But what I would argue is, is that at times it's easier to solve or cover deficiencies than it is to unlock potential. And there is so much more potential in this Spurs team than I think is currently being shown. I think there is more to it than being a dour defensive outfit that hits people on the break. I think when you play at home against Leicester City, you should have the belief that you can tear them apart and that you can have confidence in your defence doesn't need that level of cover. It doesn't need to be a six-man defence. It doesn't need to have... you know, If you have Kane and you play him as a 10, I have no problem with that. But you need to have more attacking emphasis. In a way, Deficiency Ball has solved not fully replacing Christian Eriksen. But that can't just be an excuse, basically, to you know, put all of the, the pressure onto Kane and to say, OK, so not only are you Harry Kane, you're also Christian Eriksen, without... You know, the point is that when Tottenham were brilliant, you know, when it got to 86 points, you had Eriksen, you had Ali, you had Son, you had Harry Kane. That's four brilliantly you know, interlinking attacking players. What you've now got seemingly at Spurs is a situation where you have Harry Kane, Son, and not much else. There's no Ali, there's no Eriksen. What you're having is... You know, a Bergvine, a Mora, a Gareth Bale, but not in any way, shape or form has there been any sense to try and create a front four. It's Kane and Son, and other people are chipping in as and when, if they can do. And I think this is really, at the heart of it, is that Jose is in some ways trying to maintain his legacy, and that this late career Jose Every defeat tarnishes his legacy. That Royal Antwerp game hurt more than it should have ever done. That West Ham game hurt more than it should have done. And so as a result, it's more along the lines of if we just drill harder, if we just become more tighter, more compact, you know, more into deficiency ball, that will limit all of these defeats, all of these problems. And in the end, that's the biggest red flag of all. He's not trying to create a future legacy at Tottenham. He's using Tottenham to maintain his existing legacy. And thus really risking the entire chances of this of Jose being a success at Spurs. You know, deficiency ball really needs to become far more progressive if Tottenham are ever really going to actually break through that glass ceiling that has that has loomed over the club in the 21st century. Thank you for listening.